Glad you're here in the middle of winter to worship the Lord with us and to get into his word. This morning I thought it would be appropriate to start off by telling you a wedding story. Uh, I know you can probably track with a wedding story, but it's not your traditional wedding story, so it may throw you off a bit because there's different customs that I'm going to talk about, but I think you'll be able to track with it. So the story goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a man uh, to be married to a woman. And the woman, the bride, had uh, ten bridesmaids. That's a pretty big wedding party, ten. I mean, some of you may have had ten. And when you get a wedding party that big, you know that some in the wedding party are a bit sketchy. Yes, you know, you got some friends like that, right? You're like, oh, should I invite them or not? Okay, you bring them on. So we have ten bridesmaids, and five were considered wise, and five were a bit sketchy, considered foolish. Now, the custom during this time is that the bridesmaids would uh, leave the bride and go out to meet the groom and his groomsmen and uh, the, the wedding party and the family, and they would meet up, and they would form this huge processional all the way to the wedding feast. And this would normally happen at night. So the ten bridesmaids leave the bride, leave at night in order to see during this time. They didn't have flashlights. They had these oil lamps that were kind of big like this, and it kind of looked like a torch, okay? You would put oil on it and torch it up so you could see at night. You're with me so far. So the five wise ones decided, you know what? You can never know what's going to happen with these wedding festivities or the, the groom could be delayed. So they decided to bring extra oil. But five of them said, there's no need for that, and they didn't bring extra oil. And so they go out at night, and they're, they got their, all of them got their, their oil torch lamps burning, and they're, they're going out waiting for the bridegroom. And what do you know? He got delayed. And it was so late at night, they're like, you know, we're just going to take a nap. And so all ten of them fell asleep. And so they're sitting there sleeping, all ten of them snoring away. And all of a sudden... Out of the blue, someone says, hey, behold, the bridegroom is coming. And so they all woke up and they got their torch lamps and they're putting oil in. And then the five foolish ones could get their lamps started because they didn't have any oil. And so they go to the wise ones and say, hey, give me some oil. I need some oil. And those wise ones ones are saying, no way, I'm not going to give you any oil because there's not enough for me and your lamp. You need to go to the 24-hour oil dealership and get your own oil. And so the five foolish ones are like, okay, we'll be right back. And so they leave to the the dealer to get some oil. It's late at night, but he's open 24 hours. And they go to get some oil. But while they're gone, the bridegroom shows up. The wise ones... They're there, they greet the bridegroom, and they all proceed to the wedding festivities for the great feast. And, and, and then the five foolish ones finally get their oil, finally get their lamp torch going, and they're heading to the feast, and they get there, and the door is shut. And they're like, hey, open up, let us in, hey, let us in, we're here, let us in. And then a voice came back that said this. Truly, truly, I do not know you. The end. That's the story. You're like, 
what kind of wedding story is that? That's the story, the wedding story, that Jesus told to his disciples. Pretty close to before he was killed. And he said, you know what? I'm the bridegroom. And I'm going to come back to this earth a second time. And you better be ready. Because you do not know when I'm going to come. I'm going to come back and you better be like those wise bridesmaids. And you better be ready. Because I'm coming back. He said, after that story, he said, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch means you better be ready. You better be constantly vigilant. I could come back at any time. And so maybe, it may be just kind of wonder. I, I probably should ask you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you're a Christian. I don't know what's going on in your life. My question is this. Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you ready for him to come back right now, today, and you're fine to meet him face to face? Are you ready? This is about the third week we've been talking about the end of the world, the end of the ages, and the return of Christ. And the story I just told you was from Matthew 25. But we've been in Matthew 24 for a little while, and we still need to finish up Matthew 24. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. It's in the New Testament. Look it up in the table of contents. You can't find it. And you kind of wonder, what started this whole discussion about the end of the world? Well, it's from, you remember, Jesus told his disciples that the temple, which they were so impressed with, is going to be destroyed. And the disciples are like, what? When is that going to happen? And what are going to be the signs that indicate that the temple and Jerusalem is about to be destroyed? And Jesus' answer to them is something called the Olivet Discourse. He was on the Mount of Olives, and he interacted with them, and he cleared up some confusion. He, he clarifies some things, and he warns them. He makes a clarification because the disciples thought that when Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed, then the Messiah would take his place on the throne. And Jesus is like, okay, well, let me clear some things up for you. First, Jerusalem is going to be sacked. The temple is going to be destroyed, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be on the throne right away. And so he does, I think he does two things. He starts telling them to get ready for the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which is going to happen in AD 70. And at the same time, he's speaking about a greater destruction that is going to come at the end of the world. He's talking about both events, and I think he's kind of meshing them together. And I think the AD 70 event, which was terrible, is kind of like preseason getting ready for the Super Bowl of the end times and his second coming. So it's pointing to the big event of his second coming. And when he starts talking about his second coming, he's talking about all these crazy things that are going to generally occur, like earthquakes and famine and war and rumors of war. And as we get closer and closer to Christ's coming, there's going to be these, these specific signs that we talked about last week. So, so far, Jesus has been answering the what question. What is going to happen before you come back? But today, 
he's finally going to answer the when question. When are you coming back? And wouldn't you like to know that? And he basically says, you can't know, but you better be ready. Let's jump in and see that. Matthew 24, this is so good today. Matthew 24, starting in verse 36. This is amazing. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus is going to return to earth today at 3 o'clock this afternoon. I hope you do not have any Super Bowl plans. Don't you think it would be ridiculous if I told you that? And yet we have people throughout history who have told the world when Jesus is going to come back, uh, even a, a day, and some of them even made up times, and they've have all been wrong, because who knows when he's coming back? Anybody on this earth? No. Do the angels know? No. Does the Son of God know? That's right. That's what it says right here, right? Thank you for cluing me in. It says right here, the Son doesn't know either. Now, how does the Son not know? Here's what I think is going on. Jesus, when he was here in the flesh, he chose to limit himself in a variety of ways. In the flesh, when he was here as a man, he was not present everywhere, was he? No, he wasn't. And and to fully enter in the human experience, he chose at this time to limit himself to this knowledge. Do do I think that the Son of God, Jesus, knows when he's coming back now? Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) But at this time right here, in this context, he didn't know. In fact, it says that only the Father knows. Only the Father has set the dates and the times by his own authority. Now, before we move on, I want to do something that you may think is a little boring. I don't think so. I think it's going to be useful and quite informative. It's something called a theological excursus. And if you don't know what that means, it's okay. Here's the problem I see. The problem I was struggling with this week, and maybe you don't see the tension yet, but it's this. Jesus is going to tell us throughout the rest of this chapter that he can come back at any time, 3 o'clock this afternoon, any time he wants, right? Any time the Father determines, bam, he's coming, you better be ready. And yet, he just told us to look for specific signs that must occur before he returns. So, if specific signs must occur before he returns, how can he just come back at any time? Do you feel the tension? So how do you resolve it? Well, it's not easy. Let me give you three possibilities. One, some believe that the church, all believers, are going to be raptured up to be with Jesus uh, instantly. He's going to come back. We're going to all go to be with him. And then unbelievers will be left on this earth for a certain amount of time. And then Jesus will come back uh, again. That's, uh, I don't want to tell you what it's called because it's too confusing. How about uh, just the pre-tribulational rapture of the church? Okay, I promised last week I wouldn't use big words. I'm sorry. But so he's going to come back before all the tribulation happens. Now, I, there was a period in my life 
where I believe this. In fact, I went, I paid good money at a seminary to believe this, all right? So it's kind of hard to move away from your beliefs in seminary because you paid good money for them. And it's like, that's, 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 and I can see it in there a little bit, but where I'm at right now, I could be convinced easily, but I just don't see a specific text that lays it out as clearly as, as I think it should be laid out. So, second way you can deal with this, some people would say, when Jesus says he can come back at any time, he's just talking about a generation. He's just saying that once these signs start to play out within a generation and you see them, then he's going to come back. I'm not content with that either because when I start reading these little parables and what Jesus is saying today, he's saying, I mean, you better look out. I can come back like that. Well, here's a third solution. It's by this guy named Wayne Grudem. He has a systematic theology. Maybe you've read it. But he says this. He says, maybe all the signs have already been fulfilled. Except for one, you know, the darkening of the moon and the stars falling. But that can happen like that. But maybe all the signs have already been fulfilled. He said, maybe. But it's not likely. And then he argues that we could be ready for an unlikely event. He said, all of us do it who drive. When you get into your car, you put on your seatbelt. And you make sure in your glove box you have auto insurance. Why? Because you might get into a crash. It's not likely, but you're preparing for an unlikely event. And he would argue in the same way, we get ready for the return of Jesus, though it's not likely that the signs have occurred yet, but maybe they have. Now, that's his solution. And I just want to be honest with you. So far in my studies this week, I'm not very content with the solutions. So how can I get up here and preach when I don't have an answer for this? All I've got to say is that when I read the scriptures, it really seems like Jesus can come back at any moment. And how I can fit that together with all the signs, I don't have this perfect solution for you. So maybe you can just struggle with me through this. And I think we can all track together. Because the main point is get ready. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. So now let's move into the interesting parts. Verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And this is, this is amazing. So before the world flooded, remember the ark, remember Noah? For those of you who didn't have any church experience, uh, maybe you've heard of Noah and the ark, right? The concept is he went into an ark, and he, before that happened, people were just going about their business, normal duties. They were eating and drinking. They were, they were going out to eat. Let's say they were going out to eat at Flat Top Grill, and then they were ordering drinks, uh, and they were giving uh, people and their kids in marriage, and they were getting married. They were just going around life as normal. But as they're doing all these normal activities they were being warned. Did you know this? Noah's building the ark. I don't know. Did he have a hammer? I don't know what he had. He's building this ark. And while he's building the ark, he's preaching. Did you know that? He's called a preacher of righteousness. So he's building, building. And he's saying, you guys are wicked. 
and you're going to be flooded. And they're just like going, what? Are you kidding me? No, just go ahead and build your old ark. All right, just build away. There's no way. And so the Bible says he's building, he's building, and they're just eating and drinking, doing the normal activities. And Noah is going up into the ark, and then the ark is closed, and they're maybe having a wedding, and they're eating, and then all of a sudden it starts to rain, and then the flood came dead. Just like that. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be like that at the end of the world. People are just going to be going about their business, doing their normal stuff, and then he's going to come back, and they're not going to expect it. And you and I who are Christians, we're like Noah. When we go out, we're giving people a message of hope, and we're giving them a warning. We're saying, look, you're sinful I'm sinful. God is holy and righteous. If you die and you stand before him, he will cast you out of his presence into hell because you're sinful. He's holy. He's righteous. But the good news is you can be rescued. You can be rescued and brought into relationship with God. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, lived the life you can't live, died on the cross for your sin, buried, rose again. And if you put your faith in him, you will be clothed in his righteousness and his holiness, and God will forgive you your sins, and you can live with him forever. It's a great message of hope, and we're preaching it, right? But it's also a message of warning, just like Noah's days. If you don't listen, if you don't repent, if you don't respond, you may think this is a joke, you may think we're making stuff up, But just like Noah's days, the flood is going to come. You will die and face the wrath of God, or Jesus will come back and you will face the wrath of God. But either way, if you ignore this message of hope and warning, you are doomed for destruction. So what's your response? What's it going to be? Do you heed the words of the gospel or ignore them to your destruction? And Jesus gets very specific about what's going to happen. Here we have two little snippets of Israelite life. Look at verse 40 and 41. Maybe you've heard this before or read about it in your Left Behind novels. Look at verse 40. This is great. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. These are just normal things. They're out in the field or they're just grinding at the meal or they're in the office cubicle or they're working in the lab and they're just, maybe you're working with your family members, maybe you're working with your friends. You're just going through normal business with your coworkers and, and all of a sudden, I think what's going on here, the believer, boom, goes up to meet Jesus in the air. Just like that. And the unbeliever's left. And depending on your view of things, I think the believer goes up and meets Jesus in the air and and returns right away for for judgment. But there there is no warning here. There's no, no, no indication. It's like you're just going about normal business. You're just mixing chemicals in the lab, and then boom, one's gone. And just like that, that's it. It's just such this suddenness, this, this quickness. There's, there's no, be no time to get ready then. There'll be no time to repent then. Just bam. And so Jesus says, get ready. 
Verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. <laughs> I like this. It's like, be spiritually awake. Be watchful. Be vigilant. He tells this little mini parable. Look at verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, sitting here on the third row is my good friend, Dan. Dan, I'm sorry to take, make, I'm not going to point you out here, but Dan, I like Dan. Raise your hand, Dan. Say hi to everybody. Dan is a great guy, and he has a condo, right? You have a condo. Now, if I told you, Dan, tonight at 9 o'clock, this bad person, burglar, okay, thief, is going to break into your condo and, I don't know, steal some stuff, attack you. I'm not sure what he's planning on doing. And Dan would be ready. He would, he would maybe have a blunt instrument around. I don't know. Maybe you got some of those. Um, Dan would invite his ethos community over. <laughs> they would all be waiting around, and the thief comes in, and they're like waiting for him. And so they would all jump the thief, share the gospel with them, and call 911. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> they'd be ready. They would know what's going to happen. But the deal is, Dan doesn't know. You don't know when the thief is coming. And so you got to be ready all the time. And this imagery of a thief resembling the coming of Jesus is, is used in different parts of the Bible. Did you know that? He's like a thief in the night. Let me share some scriptures with you, a couple of them. The first one um, comes from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. It says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's that imagery again. And Jesus even says it again in Revelation 16, 15. Look at that one. I'll put it up for you. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. You got to stay awake because you don't know when he's coming back. You may think, I'm going to just take a little time out from Jesus. And when I get old, this is so classic. When I get older and have kids, then I'll return to Jesus because I want my kids to be churched, right? And so I'll go back to Jesus. Or when I get older and I'm done doing my thing, then when I'm older, let's say about 60 or 70, then I'll return to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, you've got to be spiritually awake all the time because I could come like a thief. So what does it mean to be spiritually awake? Well, the Bible makes this connection, and it's an amazing connection. Often when it talks about the return of Jesus and us waiting for him to come back, it's telling us, while you wait, you must live a holy life. You're saved by grace, and if you've got the Spirit of God in you, you walk with Jesus and live a holy life. Let me give you an example. The book of Titus. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us, here we go, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Okay, so we've received grace. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the future grace, verse 13. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Oh, this is good. So we're saved by grace, and yet we're waiting for more grace when we'll be redeemed from these bodies where we struggle. And so as we're waiting for Jesus to come back, we desire to please him. We desire to live a holy life. There's always that connection. We don't just sit around in our closet waiting for Jesus to come back. No, we get out there and we live a holy life. To say it another way, the return of Christ should motivate a holy life. The return of Christ should motivate a holy life. There's a book by Ed Welch. If you can read anything by Ed Welch, it would be great. He's a, a great counselor. If any of you like to think about counselors, biblical counseling, this guy's great. He has this book called Addictions. A really good book I'd recommend. It's called Addictions, A Banquet in a Grave. And he demonstrates that how the return of Christ can motivate us to live with the right priorities and to deal with our addictions. So maybe you want to pick that up. But this is, what he's, this is the, the concept that he has in mind. All right, you ready? You can track with me here? Okay, here we go. How would you feel if your boyfriend, I don't know if you've got a boyfriend. Maybe you do. How would you feel if your girlfriend, or how would you feel if your husband or if your wife, how would you feel if they caught you in an act of immorality? I don't know, maybe you're looking at something on the computer, or maybe you're with someone else, and they just busted you they, right at that time that they came in. Or how would you feel, for those of you who are students and you like video games, and sometimes you play them like eight hours a day maybe, and you're playing for several hours, 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 and your parents show up, and your parents say, Hey, what's going on? What have you been doing? How would you feel? Or let's say you're a parent and you have children and you just pick them up from, from Sunday school or children's church and then you're, you're walking out to the car and you're just screaming at them and the children's church teacher sees you. How would you feel? You would feel busted. In all these situations, you would feel just ashamed of your sin and you would feel convicted and you would see just how worthless you were just acting. And if that's how someone else can make you feel, can you imagine what you would feel at the return of Christ if you were indulging in sin? I mean, how would that make you feel? And and it's not like I'm saying, okay, Jesus is going to come back and you're playing video games, so he's going to send you to hell. No, I'm not talking about that. And then you've done wrong playing video games, but there's a, there's a balance there, right? God knows what's going on in the heart. I'm not saying that, but you're just trying to think in your head and in your heart, Jesus is going to come back. I want to get my priorities straight. I want to get my life walking with him. I don't want to get distracted. I don't want to be caught up in sin. He's coming back, and that's to motivate a holy life. So you've got to be spiritually awake. But he's not just talking about being spiritually awake. We also need to be spiritually faithful. Here's the last story. We need to be spiritually faithful as well. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant 
whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Here's the concept. Okay, the master goes away on business. He puts one servant in charge of his household and the other servants. And just really cut to the chase here. God is the, the master, and he's put you in charge of the household. Every single person in here, you have responsibilities. If you're a believer, you have responsibilities. You have gift, you have money, you have time, you have talents. You're to be faithful, you're to serve him, you're to serve others. You have this responsibility. You're accountable here. You're to be spiritually faithful. Verse 46. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. He's talking about the believer here. A believer's been changed inside. He is faithful. Jesus comes back. He says, I see your faithfulness. I'm going to give you more responsibility. And this is the way it's going to work. Blessed, welcome. But look at the unfaithful servant. Verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the unbeliever. Now I want you to understand this. The unbeliever acts like a believer when the master's around. Is there anybody like that? Like when other Christians are around or when you're in church environment or a churchy environment, you act like a believer. But when the master's gone or when your Christian friends are gone, you're like, phew, now I can go live the way I want. And that shows what's in your heart. You're not a true believer. And this unfaithful servant starts to treat others bad. In fact, he starts to do wicked things to them. And you can just think about your own life. If you're treating others harshly, you're living for yourself. And it says here, when they least expect it, the master returns. And and the Bible is not just being gentle here. It's being very brutal. He's going to cut them into pieces. What? Cut them in pieces. I think some versions say, cut them in half. And then stick them with the hypocrites. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's talking about hell. It's talking about eternal suffering. And it's with the hypocrites because you know why? It's people that act like they're faithful. Act like they're believers. But God knows. And when they least expect it, Jesus will come back and they will be accountable. No playing games. You can trick me. You can trick other people. You can't trick Jesus. He knows what's going on in your heart. And so which servant are you? And don't play games here. What servant are you? Are you the one who's faithful? You've been, you trust in Jesus Christ. You've been changed in your heart. You're faithful to him. Are you the the faithless, wicked servant who looks good when the master's around, but when the master's gone, you're off? Which servant are you? And of course, there's still time. Like I said last week, there's still time to repent and to believe and trust Christ and, and to follow him. But when he comes, time's out. Done. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to end up here saying two things that I really think, if you can get a hold of these two things, this, this should have an impact upon you, not just today, but the rest of your life. This is, this is really good. I'm going to tell you that these last two things I'm going to tell you about. Because the question I'm asking is, if Jesus is coming back right away, which maybe he comes back today, but if he's coming back right away, 
what does it mean for me to be faithful? What does it mean for me to be faithful if he's coming back right away? What do I need to do to live a faithful life? I'm going to share two things with you. First one is this. Deal with the if-onlys. Deal with the if-onlys. This is so good. Because I was reading about this guy. This guy made this commitment with his wife. This, this is good. Listen to this. He believed that he and his wife wanted to deal with the if-onlys because they didn't want to ever say that in their life. They didn't want to ever say that in their marriage. They didn't want to say that in the future. And he believes that if you deal with the if-onlys in your life, you'll better, be better prepared to meet Jesus. And so for he and his wife, they made these commitments that they said they don't ever want to say, if only we had taken better care of our health. If only we had spent more time with our kids. If only we had been more disciplined to pay off our debts. If only we'd not allowed that relationship quirk to pull us apart. And I'm going to keep adding to these now. Uh, we don't ever want to say, if only we have shared our faith more with those that we love. If only if we'd stopped being so greedy and stored up more treasures in heaven. If only we would have exhibited more compassion and love. And if only, this is a big one, if only we have taken that step of faith. Some of you, you know God is calling you to do something, and so far you have not done it. And you don't want to come back and say, if only I would have stepped out when he was calling me. Now, now understand this. If you're at a point in your life where you're saying, if only, if only, if only, you need to understand there is grace, there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus who deals with your if-onlys. Yeah? He deals with our sin. He forgives us. But now, if we are a believer moving forward, we, by his grace and his power, need to start dealing with the if-onlys. I, I, I do not want to, to come to a point in my life where I'm just letting stuff slide and I'm not facing things. I don't want you to either. So deal with those, those issues right now. Don't come to a later time in your life where you say, if, if only I would have stepped out. And as we start to deal with these if-onlys, we are better prepared to, to meet Jesus Christ because we are walking with him in obedience. We're not ashamed of our master. We're not ashamed of his ways. And the last thing I want to share with you is from Michael J. Wilkins. And he says this, Live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though he is not coming back for a hundred years. Live as though Jesus is coming back today, but plan as though he's not coming back for a hundred years. And basically that means, if I'm telling you Jesus is coming back today at three, it doesn't mean we just always just sit around and, and do nothing. But we want to be faithful, right? He can come back at any time. I want to encourage you, be faithful in your vocation, be faithful at school, be faithful at your homes, be faithful to share your faith and love other people. Because if you knew that he was coming back tomorrow, would you change anything about today? If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, would you change anything about today? And the answer should be, no, not really. Maybe a few little adjustments here and there, maybe. Uh, I don't know. If I knew exactly he was coming back tomorrow, maybe I would just spend a little bit more time today with my family. I don't know what you would say. But in general, the answer should be, no, I'm going to be the same way today as I'm going to be tomorrow, the next day, because I'm going to be faithful to do what he's called me to do in this generation with what he's given me, and I'm just looking forward to coming back, and I don't want to be ashamed. And so would you change anything today if you knew he was coming back tomorrow? We're to be faithful today. And I want to end. I start out with a wedding story. 
And I want to end with a story that happened back in 1780, on May 19th. It was called New England's Dark Day. It's a story I read this week by a guy I've interacted with before, and he told this story. It's pretty powerful. So on May 19th, 1780, the sky turned black. So dark that they needed candles to see at noon. Around lunchtime, they needed candles to see it was that dark. And the darkness spread as far as they could see. Every town in that area that they came in contact with in New England was experiencing the same thing. So everybody they knew was experiencing the same event of darkness. And it was shocking, and it was frightening, and to them, it was unexplainable. Now, now later historians, looking back on this, they can explain it. They say it was a combination of these, uh, these forest fires in, in Canada, you know, the smoke and the ash was coming over, and it, it was also a lot of cloud cover that day and fog. So historians can say, we can explain historically what was going on, but the people that were experiencing could not. And they were thinking, this is it. Jesus is coming back. The, the sun moon, blotted out. You know, like it says, last week we saw Matthew, they think Jesus is coming back. And so the Connecticut legislature was unsure. They're like, okay, should we go home and face the end with our families or should we just stay here and meet? Like, we, we don't know what we should do. And so they, they say, you know, if we, we do meet, we're going to have to bring in candles because we can't even see. It's just totally dark. What should we do? And there was this guy. <laughs> this is so good. Abraham Davenport. He stood up and he expressed clearly. I'm going to give you his words. This is famous. Here are his words. I choose for one to meet him face to face. No faithless servant frightened from my task but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls. And therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work. We will see to ours. Bring in the candles. Isn't that great? It's like, we're going to be faithful. If he's come back right now, we're going to just keep doing what he's called us to do. And that's where we want to be. Jesus, come back right now. But until you come back, we just want to be eagerly longing for your return, and we want to be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for saving us by your grace through the redemption on the cross. And we long for you to come back. We long to see you. And it could be today. And I just ask that there is anyone in here who has not repented of their sins, is not trusting you, who's playing that game that later they're going to get right with you, they're going to trust you and put their faith in you later. May you convict them right now. For they may walk out of here and die right away, or you may come back right away. Let them know there is no later. There is, must be an urgency now to be reconciled with the Father through the Son. And may they repent and put their faith in you right now and quit playing the later game. 
And for the rest of us, Lord, who are walking with you, who are struggling with our sins and struggling with things on this earth, we, we're looking for grace and you're coming to come rescue us. But until then, make us holy, make us faithful, make us awake, make us alert. And may we be ready for the thief in the night. May we be ready for your return. And until you come, until you come back, may we continue to proclaim your name, proclaim the gospel, proclaim Jesus to our friends and our family and the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.